Good morning, Oakwood family. We are going to be in part five of our series today on 1 Peter. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3. Uh, we're about halfway through the series today, and uh, hopefully it's been good to just go through God's Word and allow God to speak. Now, uh, I will tell you today is uh, really uh, very specific in that it's a, um, about husbands and wives. Now, you may say, well, how do we get husbands and wives in the middle of a series? And we've been talking about holiness and a role of priesthood and all of this, and now it's husband and wives. But you'll understand that this idea that we introduced last week of submission is actually carried over not only from the government uh, context— or the workplace context, as into a manager or to a boss, but now it's also into the family, into the home, uh, this idea of submission. So that's where we're going to be today. Now, so many times when we mention marriage or start talking about something that this is, you know, has a marriage application or it's to husband and wives, all the single people are like, oh, this isn't for me, I'll tune it out. But don't tune it out for several reasons. First of all, I want you to realize that this may prepare you for the future because you never know, right? Tomorrow is Valentine's Day, people. You don't, you don't know who's going to give you a Valentine tomorrow, so you, you, just, you just don't know. So uh, just, just be aware of that. The other thing is, uh, I remember there's this uh, single lady in our church years ago um, that would tell me how she had uh, all married friends, like all of her girlfriends were all married, and how she felt like she was an eternal marriage counselor for her four married friends. And so sometimes it's good for you to be like, okay, you know, I, hey, I, I, uh, I got this uh, marriage advice from, uh, from uh, First Peter. Yeah, yeah. And you should think about this when you're relating to your husband. And, and, so, uh, and so you may be called upon to help someone else sometime. And so don't, don't shoot it out. Plus, there's some, some principles today that apply to just every Christian. Uh, whether you're male or female. And so we're going to be looking at those uh, this morning and, and excited to talk about, about, talk about marriage and, and how the uh, context of submission applies there. So let's look at the text, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-7. through 7, And it says this, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives." When they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles or the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of the inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers." Let's pray this morning. Lord God, I pray you bring this text alive to us, that you'd speak it into our hearts and minds, Lord, that we can just hear directly from you this morning. Um, God, may we all just pray in our hearts right now. Lord, today, speak to me. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It begins here in verse 1 by saying, in the same way. It says wives, and, and I know what some of you are thinking. Hey, wait a minute here. This isn't, this isn't fair. There are six verses for wives. And then you get to verse 7, the husbands get one verse, okay? Now, there's this thing, okay? Sometimes wives, they have lots of words, okay? They just, they, they just have more words than guys. Guys are, you know, like, you know, and wives, you know what I'm talking about? 
You, you try to talk to him and you can't get him to say two words, right? It's like, oh, he's a man of few words, okay? So maybe that's why the text, I, I don't know. Maybe that's why there's six, you know. But what's funny is the applications out of both are the same. Um, so maybe it's just one verse for guys and, you know, guys, a man of few words, are, you know. Peter knew, you know, I mean, he was married, he knew, you know, so. But it, it starts out here by saying wives in the same way. In the same way as what? And again, it's re- referencing back what I said at the very beginning about submission. Last week we were talking about submission. It says that we are to submit ourselves as Christians to all human authority. Not only that, but we are su- to submit ourselves to government authorities. We are also, uh, we gave us the example of, of uh, submitting ourselves in the workplace, that we are to have an attitude and a heart of submission to, you know, your manager, your supervisor, your boss, however it's, it's said in your workplace context. And so now he, he's saying that in that same way, along that same vein, that knowing and understanding that God has set up an authoritative structure in all of these organizations, whether it's governmental or, or whether it's the workplace, now we're going to turn inward to the home. To, to one of the closest places to all of our hearts. And that God has a plan and a structure that he has ordained for the home as well. And so he says, hey, wives, in the same way that you'd submit to governmental authorities in the government, in the same way that you'd have a submission spirit to someone who has authority over you in the workplace, to wives, hey, in that same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. And then he gives them a really good reason. He says, so that if any of them do not believe the word, do not believe you know, the word of God, that they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. That's where we're going to begin this morning. We're going to talk about the responsibilities of a God-honoring spouse today, which can really make it wedlock or deadlock in a marriage. And, and the first thing we're going to address here, just because of the order of the text, is the wives' responsibilities. What are the wives' responsibilities this morning? And the first one is this, here in verse 1, the wife is to be submissive. The wife is to be submissive. Submission for the Christian is both an obligation and an opportunity. It's an obligation and an opportunity. Submission has to do with how we relate to the the order and authoritative structure where we operate our lives. Okay, now a lot of people like try to jump ahead here into into saying the text means this or it's talking about this, but let's let's go to Bible times and let's go into the average Roman household at this time. We we read last week about slaves and masters, and we we talked about this idea of being a bond servant and how we're we're bond servants to Christ, where we'd be totally dedicated to the service of Christ. All all of those applications are there. And, And so just like it is in the workplace, so it would be in a Roman household. Just because you're in a workplace and you say, well, hey, I am under the authority of my supervisor, sometimes that doesn't mean that you're inferior to your supervisor, right? So, I mean, some of you are like, amen, amen, right? Yeah, I'm smarter than he or she is. I am. I'm more talented than he or she is. And so there's no inferiority complex or, or some kind of statement being made there when you are submissive. And in the Roman, the Roman household, it would be the same. Some of those slaves, they were smarter And they were probably better people than their masters. But the way the authoritative structure is there and the way God wants us to function and represent him best within it is to be submissive, to be respectful with a humble spirit. And under God's authoritative structure in the home, husbands and wives are partners. They're not to be competitors. 
The scripture tells us early in the, in the Old Testament that when two come together, the two become one. They become one. This explains why Christians should never marry non-Christians, right? It makes sense. Because if you think about it, it's nearly impossible for a believer to get into any deep kind of oneness with someone who is an unbeliever. Because what happens? Imagine what happens. You start jockeying for position. Whose values are we going to have? Are we going to be church people or not church people? Are, are we going to have faith? Are, are we going to raise children when we have children in, in the faith? And, and are we going to be like Christians in name like the rest of the United States? Like everybody's a Christian, right? I mean, you ask anybody. I mean, most people, yeah, heck yeah, I'm a Christian. You have a relationship with Christ? Who? Christ. Oh, Christ. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, no, is, is it just in name or is it indeed, is it the way we live our lives? Is it reflected in the fruit of God's spirit in our lives? I mean, is this real, genuine, authentic faith being lived out or not? These questions are huge. And you understand now why there's, there's other parts of the Bible that say, hey, don't be yoked into an unbeliever because there's this jockeying of position that happens. And sometimes it happens in the home. And here he's saying, even in the context of a wife, that is saved in a Christian, and the context of maybe a husband who's an unbeliever. He's not, he's not even acting like a Christian. He doesn't claim to know Christ. I mean, if he goes to church, it's because his wife is dragging him to church. Even in that context, the wife is called to be submissive, to be, to be humbly respectful of him as the head of the household, as God's structure within the home. Otherwise, there's this, this fighting that, that goes on. There's this tension that's created there. Uh, one, of my, one of the funniest verses, I think, in, in the Bible, I laugh about all the time, is Proverbs 21.9. Proverbs 21.9. This is what it says. It is better to live on a corner of the roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. And, and three guys snickered and all the ladies tightened up their bottom lip, you know. But what, what's saying there, and, and if you think about this, uh, you have to understand the home in, in, in Bible times. The homes were always flat on top flat roofs. And many times what they would do is they would put a ladder up and they would use that kind of as an extra living room. You know, kind of like in Oklahoma, we do that with garages, right? People put a TV out there now. I mean, sometimes like I drive by someone's garage, I'm like, whoa, it's nicer than my living room. What is that? You know, it's like, what's the deal with garages? It's hot and not climate controlled. And, you know, it's, you know, but people, they love them some garage. Okay. It's kind of like the same thing here. As people would go out on the roof, it was an extra living area, it was a space to sunbathe, you know, whatever. If you remember uh, the context of David, King David, when he was in the palace, and you remember he was out on his roof taking a stroll at night, and he was looking over all the roofs of Jerusalem, and you remember who he saw? Led to some really bad things in his life, Bathsheba, remember? And it said the Bathsheba was on her roof, and she was, like, bathing. Uh, the context there is, like, she was kind of, like, using it as a dressing room. She had some privacy, you know, at night on her roof. No, no one can see me, you know, but it, it happened. And, and so that, that, it's in the, that context. And I've always laughed when I read this verse because, you know, it, what it's saying here is it's better to, to live on a corner of the roof than to be in a house with a wife that quarrels with you all the time, that's always jockeying for position. It's better for the man to just like go out on the roof and just like, like just be in the little tiny corner, you know? It's like, I would just rather, you know, be here than have to deal with this constant tension and fighting that happens all the time. And probably in the context of that, that's a wife that maybe isn't being respectfully submissive to her husband. You see, there's an obligation here. It says that you are to, to obey scripture and it says that you are to be submissive. 
to operate within God's plan and his structure for the home and for the family. But there's also this thing called the opportunity. The opportunity to, by your deeds and by your actions and by your attitudes, to spiritually influence your husband through loving submission and respect. I cannot tell you through the years how many times I've had husbands that finally come to the faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ, and they say, it was 100% because of her. Even when I was a jerk, even when I was addicted to alcohol, even when I was young and stupid and I played golf and went fishing and, and just paid no attention to her, and when we started having kids and I gave no attention to the kids, I was like, that's your job. When I was the absent father, she still treated me in humble submission. And after 10 or 12 or 15 or hopefully, you know, years, maybe it was just five months of that, she won me over. I said, man, you are so good to me in spite of me. And they won over through the submission and respect their husband and to the Lord. And it's real and it's true. Peter knew exactly what he was talking about here. But this idea of submission is not just Peter's. This runs all throughout Scripture. I mean, if we turn over just a, a couple books to Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes about this too. Let's see what the Apostle Paul has to say to husbands and wives in, in this area of submission. In Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 21, the Apostle Paul writes this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Hmm. It's actually talking about mutual submission here. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands, so submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed it and they take care of it, just as Christ does for the church. For we are members of his body. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking of Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Love and respect through mutual submission comes from the Apostle Paul as well. We actually have a uh, Sunday school class that meets at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, and they're going through a study called Love and Respect by Emerson Egricks. Uh, Randy and Susie Hinkle teach that, and there's several couples that, that do that. And, and that's, what, that's the context of that whole group there, is how, how, do we, how do we learn this? How do we apply this to our lives and to, and to our marriages, this love and respect thing? Because here's the deal, it's to understand it in all of its fullness. If a man would love his wife as Christ loved the church, is what we just read, and gave himself up for her, do you think that woman will have a hard time submitting to that guy? No way. Maybe so easy. If he loves me as Christ loves the church, and that, that application is coming. 
You, you could see how a woman wouldn't have a hard time submitting to a man that loves her and cherishes her and takes care of her like that. And in the same way, a, a wife that is, is submissive and understands the, the, the authority structure in the home and understands what God's trying to do as he appoints the man as the leader in his household, that he would also understand that a wife that is submissive, she's a lot easier to love. She's, he's a lot easier to be won over because of her and how she has treated him. The love and respect, it goes really both ways. And God calls us to live this out, to walk this out together. But in verse 1, we read that the wife is to be submissive. Second, the wife is to be pure and reverent to the Lord. The wife is to be pure and reverent to the Lord. Look at verse 2. It says, when they see your purity and the reverence of your lives. When that husband sees the purity and the reverence of your lives. When that husband sees that, that the wife is pure, that she's blameless, that, that, she, she, that her thought life is, is lining up, that, 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 the, that her words and her language and the way that she talks is lining up with the Lord. Purity. Reverence. What, what does that word reverence mean? Remember we talked about this in the last couple of weeks, that it's a healthy fear of the Lord and not a fear like, oh, I'm scared because God could strike me with lightning or... I mean, that could be a part of it for us, but it's just a, a fear, a healthy reverence for the position of the Lord and what he has in our lives. And, and it says here that, that when they have this purity and this reverence for the Lord in their lives, that this is an example to the husband. The wife is to be pure and to be reverent to the Lord. The third thing, the wife is to be modest and pursue spiritual adornment. She's to be modest and to pursue spiritual adornment. Adornment. Look what it says in verses uh, 3 and following there. It says, Your beauty, ladies, should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of the inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They did it by developing the inside, the heart, the mind, the emotions, the spiritual growth that they had in their lives. I think sometimes today, the ladies seem to worry too much or sometimes only worry about the physical beauty and not the heart that's inside. I think there's a problem as we look at culture, and you could probably nod and say, yeah, yeah, I kind of I see that. It's all about the exterior, and it's not about the interior. It's not about what God is doing on the inside. And here it's saying, in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven, in, in those that operate in the spirit, and those that are Christians, that they would value the heart and what's inside more than the outside. But it's a problem. I think that we have a hard time with this. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of this uh, television show called The Bachelor. If anybody's ever, ever heard of it, don't raise your hand. Yeah, that's embarrassing. So, never heard of it. I mean, first service, I really thought, man, this, this, this might be a stretch for first service. But no, like everybody knew The Bachelor in first service, so it, it's okay. Um, but it, it's interesting because, you know, what The Bachelor was built upon was 25 fine young ladies, right, and one guy. 
And the whole premise is, is one guy gets to choose from these 25 ladies. Now, have you ever seen the 25 ladies that they pick season in and season out for The Bachelor? I mean, they're beautiful, right? I mean, they're all like, they're all like beauty queens. I mean, some of them are unique looking in their own way, and they got different features and different things. But really, I mean, really, they're all, they're all stunning. They're beautiful. But it seems like the whole premise of the show is really not to find love. It's really to find lust, it's all about attractive qualities from the outside, not too much from the inside. Now, I know some of you purists might be, well, you know, sometimes the bachelor get to know each other in six weeks, and, you know, they, they really get to love each other, and they're going to get married, and it's like, wow, you know, did it work? I mean, if you go back to, like, Ryan and Trista, okay, maybe, maybe. Did I just date myself a little bit there? Okay, you know, that one worked out. I mean, they're still married. They're, they're normal. They have kids. You know, I mean, you know, that, that, is, that one seemed to work out, okay? But today... And, and if you compared season one to season 27, you know, today, you, you wonder, it's like, it, it, has, it, has it degraded at all? Has it become a little more superficial, a little more about lust than what's on the outside? Because those women, I mean, they're, they're taking care of themselves so nice, and they always got their makeup on, you know. Someone asked me after first service if what I was saying was for women not to wear makeup, okay? So let me just clear that up, okay? If all y'all come without makeup next week, I'm in trouble, Okay? <laughs> You ladies are beautiful, okay? But I know that makeup is an enhancement to your beauty, right? It's just an enhancement because you're so naturally beautiful. But I'm not saying that you can't comb your hair, okay? I'm, you know, I'm not saying to wear tattered clothing. You know, I'm just saying don't make that an idol in your life. Don't make that the main thing. That all of your focus and all your attention is on how beautiful you are and, and how your body looks and how your face looks and how your hair looks. Don't make it just all about that. Now, I know the guys are like, hey, wait a second, you know, I like my wife and she's pretty and I want her to kind of stay this way. And that's, so I'm not, I'm not saying that, but when it becomes the main thing in your life and it becomes an idol in your life, it starts taking the place of other things. And you find yourself, ladies, think about it. You find yourself working more on the exterior than the interior of the heart. I think that's what Peter is speaking to here. He's saying, don't make it all about the exterior stuff. Make it about what's inside. What, what, what were you building what are you building for the kingdom of God in here? What's, what's the work that God's doing in here? Because it's interesting. The more beautiful you become in here, a lot of times, it's really weird. The more beautiful you become out here. And sometimes it's just in your, it's just in your associations and your conversations with other people. And it says here, a gentle and quiet spirit which is worth much in God's sight. You're living to God's value system. I think the question here, ladies, is maybe this. Where are you seeking and finding your worth? Where are you seeking and finding your worth? Are you doing it by the world's standards? Or are you doing it by God's standards? Again, I'm not saying you shouldn't take care of yourself. You shouldn't take good care of the temple that God has given you. But is that become the main thing in your life? And if you find yourself struggling with, yeah, you know what? I bought into that value system. The, the, the seeking of finding my worth in, in the exterior things, that, that, that is this battle that we all seem to fight because, because there's, this, there's this fight between what the devil would value and what the world would value and what God values. You see, the world's value system says that you've got to be beautiful, right? Money, intelligence, ability, and beauty, those four things. If you have money, you have lots of money, you're pursuing money, you get more money, you're successful, right? And, and so, hey, worldly value system, you're, you're good here. Money, if it's intelligence, hey, you're super smart, you're super good, you're super skilled in this area, you know, man, you got just this mind, you know, super intelligent, good, world values that. Ability, 
right? Ability. I mean, what's this game today? What's the game? I don't remember what it is. Is this? Yeah, yeah. Who cares? You know? I mean, right? I mean, yeah. Chiefs aren't there, so. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, it's like, can you throw the football a long way? And are you accurate with your throwing? Can you know, you know, all these skills and stuff, it's like the ability, you know, the, wow, you're so good. You know, you have this ability. Oh, that's so great. And, and so the world values that. And then there's the beauty part, you know, that this outward adornment and all this stuff. And so this money, intelligence, ability, and beauty goes against the kingdom of God. And when God says, I don't value those things. You all may look at those things, and you may get hung up into those things, and the devil would love to distract you with pursuing those things in your life. But that's not what I value. It reminded me of a, of a verse from 1 Samuel. It's when uh, Samuel was going to anoint the new king of Israel. This is what the Lord says. Uh, 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his height, his appearance, or his height, for I have rejected him. So it's not about the good-looking tall guy, Okay. The Lord does not look at the same things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I think that is exactly what Peter is saying. And not just to the ladies, but to everyone. Don't get caught up in the outward adornment. Don't get so obsessed with how you look that you miss the mess on the inside. Because a lot of times I think if you get this right, it's amazing how the rest of it will line up too. All right, let's get to the husband's responsibilities. Husband's responsibilities. Notice that there in verse 7, the one verse for the husbands, right? It starts the same way. It says, husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives. In the same way as what? He's talking about, again, submission there. It's referring again to submission. To the believing husband who submits to serve and care for his wife as the Lord commands him, for him to be the spiritual leader of the home, for him to be the one that is out in front protecting his family and serving his family and loving his wife. Husbands in that same way and echoing the sentiments of Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 where it says that, we're, that there's this mutual submission between husband and wife. Hey, in that same way, husbands in that same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. That's the first challenge for the husbands is the husband is to be considerate is to be considerate i know you read that word consider you're like oh i'm supposed to be nice right you know oh he's so considerate he's so nice oh he's so kind no it's it's more than that to be considerate of your wife is to be considerate of her needs think of it this way understanding and caring about her deepest mental emotional physical and spiritual needs that you as a husband would understand that's a big one, guys. Understand and care about, care for your wife's deepest needs, mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual, and that you would be considerate of her needs. Because so many times, guys, I know how it is. It's like, we're just like, what is her problem? We just want to go on. No, she has needs, and they're different from yours. Imagine that. Completely different sometimes, but if a husband is loving his wife as Christ loves the church, we read in Ephesians chapter 5, if he's doing that, he is understanding and caring about all of her needs. Second thing, husband is to be the leader, the strength, and the protector. The husband is called by God to be the leader, the strength, and the protector of the home. Just as submission doesn't imply inferiority, for those who submit, we talked about that with slaves and masters earlier in the Roman household. So the word weaker here 
does not mean that the wife is intrinsically, intrinsically weaker in character or she's weaker in intellect, like she's a dim wit, you know. It doesn't mean that the wives are spiritually inferior in any way because we see when Jesus Christ comes, he elevates women. He elevates them as co-heirs with Christ. Let's read the text. He says, so husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. It's talking about eternal life there. They are co-heirs of the gracious gift of life. They have a shot at accepting Christ and spending eternal life in heaven, serving the Lord forever, just like the husband does. And the husband, who is called to be the strength and the leader and the protector, should be leading his wife that direction. And he should be respectful of his wife, and not because she's weaker in intellect or weaker in character or somehow inferior. It just means, actually literally here, it just means that the woman generally possesses less physical strength than men. Generally. That the woman, and you can see this play out, okay, in so many ways. So many times guys have broader shoulders, they're maybe a little bit taller, a little bit stronger. Sometimes they're not taller. Sometimes they're just stronger. Um, but if you put a man up against a woman, most of the time, physically, the man, the man will win. And, and uh, this isn't like, you know, some you know, women's liberation knock or anything like that, okay? Well, we're just we're stating the fact. I and mean, that's all Peter's doing here, just stating the facts. I, I know if you guys have followed the news, uh, there's this swimmer um, out at Penn. And um, I had to think how to words. He's become a... Uh, she, okay? And, and so um, he's done hormone therapy. He's had his body parts cut off. And when he stands on the stand, there's this picture I saw a couple weeks ago. When he stands on a little platform before you jump into the pool, like, he looks like a man, okay? He's, he's she, what, has long hair, okay? And is trying, he's just wearing a bathing suit like a woman would wear. Um, and he's getting, you know, pumped with hormones and, and all kinds of things. And he's on, you know, testosterone is, is getting, you know, Suppressed, that's what they call it, testosterone suppression. He's doing all these things to be a woman. The fact is, when he's on the stand, I mean, he's just head and shoulders above everyone in Israel, it feels like. And he's on the stand, jumps, well, anyway, he's, he's like breaking every female record in swimming, like, like 60 of them this year. And, and you know, in, in our culture today, it was like, well, hey, wait a minute here, because, you know, the, you know, and, and some, some ladies are coming forward saying, you know what, hey, that's not right. It's not, it's not fair. The reason he's beating us is because he was a man 18 months ago. And I know he's feeling like a lady today, but he was a man. And the swimming thing, he's got a bigger stretch than we do. His arms are longer. He is stronger. He is bigger. There's a reason that he's breaking all the female records. It's because he was biologically and born as a man. I, I know that the, the struggle is real, right, in the culture. But what it's speaking to here in the text is as a general rule, as a general rule, I know there's some super buff, strong women that would, you know, melt some guys in arm wrestling, you know? I mean, but as a general rule, can we go with me, right? As a general rule, guys are bigger, guys are stronger. It's not saying anything else of the woman here other than as the weaker partner, partner in the marriage, as you are the leader and she is the submissive wife to your leadership, Spiritual leadership. She's also, what does it go on there and say, as an heir? She's a co-heir with Christ, just like you are, of the gracious gift of life, eternal life. And he's saying here, husbands, in that same way, you need to be considerate of them 
that you need to love them, you need to serve them, you need to treat them with respect as a co-heir with Christ. And then he ends it with this, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. With keeping all this in mind, the Christian husband is to sacrificially provide and protect for their wife. It's part of being the leader, the strength of the protector. But the last thing for the husbands, the husband is to be a godly companion for their wife in every way. A godly companion for the co-heir in Christ with them in every way. A spiritual companion. The wife is not to be saying, honey, let's go to church. The husband should be saying that as the leader in the home. He's leading her spirit. The wife shouldn't be begging, honey, will you please, can we pray about this? Can will you please pray with me? No, the husband should be saying, like, let's pray. Let's, let's get together and pray, babe. Hey, there shouldn't be the wife saying, hey, we should read the scripture together. I would love to, like, talk and have conversations about what, what, what the Bible says. It shouldn't be the wife constantly asking the husband. It should be the husband leading the wife as a spiritual companion and as a co-heir with Christ, also as an emotional companion. Get on an emotional level with your wife. Also as a physical companion. You, don't know, you know where I'm going. As an intellectual or mental companion. As heirs with this gracious gift of life. Because here's the fact, folks. Faith and pursuit of spiritual life with God, faith and pursuit of God is a bonding agent in a marriage. You want to know the sticky that keeps marriages together? It's the faith and the pursuit of God. In the Old Testament, there's a scripture that talks about that, that uh, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. But then it says, but a strand of three cannot easily be broken. And you know that if, you, if you're you know, Boy Scout or something, you know how they make rope. It's like, it's always in a strand of three. They don't do a strand of two. It'll just come on, un, undone. And it's saying here that that strand of three, who's the third strand? If you have a husband and a wife, you don't want a third in your marriage. Who is the third? It's God. It's God. Who created marriage? We thought it was a good idea that a man should leave his father and mother, should cleave into his wife, and that the two should become one. How do they stay one? The strand of three. It's not just a husband and wife. It's husband and God and a wife. Faith and pursuit of God is this bonding agent in your marriage that will help you keep it together when you think you can't keep it together. And notice there at the end it says, it's interesting, it says, so that nothing will hinder your prayers Guys, what is prayer? I thought, oh, so if I pray and request something and so it won't hinder what I requested of God. No, no, no. What, what is prayer? What is prayer? Simplest form. Prayer is communication with God. That's all it is. Prayer is communication with God. So it will not hinder your communication with God. It will not hinder your understanding of God's will for your life and your marriage and your family. If you will do what? Be considered of your wife. Be the leader, the strength, the protector, the provider for her. The husband is also to be a godly companion in every way. So that it will not hinder your prayers. So that your communication to God is not hindered. If the husband is not fulfilling his responsibilities toward his wife, God may not answer his prayers. That communication with God may be broken or strained because of what the husband is doing. I have the privilege of doing a Marriage counseling through the years, premarital counseling. One of the things I always tell my, my premarital couples is that as you grow closer to God, you grow closer together. And I want to give you a visual of that today. So do I have anybody in the audience who would volunteer? Volunteer as a couple? Hey, would you guys? Hey, come on up here. Come on up here. Uh-oh, what do we just get ourselves into? I promise this is not embarrassing at all. Okay, promise. But I just want to have this visual. 
kind of close with this today. Kayla, if you would come over here and just be like right over there on the edge, but don't fall off, okay? I'm sure he'll catch you if you would, because he's that kind of guy. Kyle, if you just stand on the edge there. Okay, we've got a husband and a wife, right? They want to be close together. They understand, you know, the scripture says about the whole strand of, strand of three. And what I always tell my premarital couples is it's kind of like this. If Kayla will take a step toward God, and God's here in the center, so if she'll take a step toward God, and Kyle will stick, take a step toward God, they will be closer together in their marriage. And if Kayla continues to grow and to come closer to, to God, and Kyle does the same, guess what? This couple gets closer and closer together. Come on, you're married. You can do this. Okay. <laughs> You put, you, you put your arm around her. Look at this Valentine's special right here. Okay. They, listen, listen, listen. Is that this marriage is awesome because what? When the husband is coming toward Christ and living out the text that we saw today and loving his wife as Christ loved the church, and when the wife is being submissive to her husband, so he's loving his wife, and she's like, oh, man, I love this man. It's easy to submit to him. And, and they come together. As they're both pursuing Christ, they both get closer together. It's hard when one of them doesn't. When one of them spun off and not pursuing God, it's hard because they're staying over here and the other one's like, come on. But this bond that we all desire to stay together is Christ. It's Christ. It's a Christ-centered marriage. Thank you, guys. Let's give them a round of applause. Being brave. It's very brave when the preacher calls on you and then you have to come up. But that's very brave. Very brave. But... That's what Christ wants. I know tomorrow is Valentine's Day, and I know what some of you are thinking. Wow, this was strategically placed. You know, Eric planned this out. I didn't, okay? 100%. This was not a planned deal. It's just the text brought us there. We're in chapter 3 on this week. It happens to be about husbands and wives and marriage. God has a way of doing that. It's, he's amazing. I don't think it's by accident that tomorrow's Valentine's Day. Tomorrow's Valentine's Day, and, and a lot of you married, married people, you're going to do what? You're going to try to do lunch. I mean, for Amy and I, will probably be lunch tomorrow. Probably won't do dinner. We've got a lot of stuff going on, but we're going to try to do lunch together, share that meal. Some of you, maybe it's a loved one, someone that you're in love with or you're dating. You know, oh, we're going to see him tomorrow. We're going to go have dinner tomorrow night, or we're going to have lunch tomorrow. Significant other. Some of you may be betrothed, you're engaged, and you're moving toward marriage, but whatever it is, chances are, if you're in that boat, you find yourself tomorrow on Valentine's Day doing something with that person. And you want to share that meal because you get to sit across from each other, or if you're weird, you sit beside each other in the booth, which is awkward, but that's okay. But you sit across, and why? Because you want to look into each other's face and you want to have deep conversation. And, and, and men and women, they're expressing love by listening to one another and communicating to one another in this, in this, beautiful, this beautiful thing called love. Here's the thing. We take communion here every week. And it's a meal where you get to sit down with Jesus. And I think Jesus wants the exact same thing. He wants a close relationship with you. And the way that that manifests itself this morning is going to be in communion. And so hopefully you got those emblems as you came in this morning. Um, if you're with us online, hopefully you've made those arrangements at home. To commune with Jesus Christ. We take this bread and this cup and we, we gather around what's called the Lord's table to commune with Almighty God and to spend a moment with Him. Now understand that this Jesus that you're about to commune with gave His life for you. When it says in the text that He gave up His life for the church, He literally did. He died. He was crucified. Horrific, torturous death because of a crazy love He had for His Heavenly Father's children, you and me. And now, 
we get to commune with him. We get to sit down. We get to look into his wonderful face. We get to say, God, what do you want from me? He says, I want your heart. I don't want you, I don't want you ladies so hung up on the outside adornment and getting everything right on the outside that you miss the most important thing. Your soul, which will go on and, and, and live in eternity. Your heart that affects every relationship in your life. Pursue righteousness, pursue Christ in purity and reverence on the inside, a gentle and quiet spirit which is worth much in God's sight. And as Jesus sits down with with you guys, he looks, he says, hey, I made you the leader, so lead. Love her as I have loved the church, sacrifice for her, get on her level. Understand that you're the leader, that you need to be calling the spiritual shots in the home. Quit leaving it to her to, to, to pray. Quit leaving it to her to study the Bible and read scripture and talk. Quit leaving it to her to be the one that drags you to church every Sunday. And stand up and be the man God's called you to be.